Well, why don't you open up your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 is our text this morning. title of our sermon is Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. Just as a quick recap or reminder for those of you that have not been with us and missed a few weeks, um, this is Paul's second letter to his young apprentice, Timothy. The first letter that he wrote, 1 Timothy, was mainly concerning general matters of the church. How things should operate, how things should be governed, how things should go. The second one, though, is written to Timothy directly and is very personal. This is a letter written from a pastor, Paul, to another pastor, Timothy. It's a pastoral epistle, pastoral letter. And it has the intent of, of, of writing about ministry. Specifically, that Timothy would pass, that, that Paul, excuse me, would pass on the torch to Timothy to spread the gospel. This letter is full of countless exhortations and charges and challenges for Timothy and for us to heed. This letter is Paul's final one. It was written in prison, awaiting his imminent death. And in a sense, these are Paul's final words. And rightfully though, so, they're important ones. This really is a letter full of wisdom. In specific ministry experience from years of radical ministry by Paul the Apostle. If you are in ministry in any sense, dig into this book. Brothers and sisters, Timothy did take the torch and he did carry on the mission. Praise God for that. Because we are, in one way or another, a result of the gospel being spread to the whole world. Through Paul, and through Timothy, and through the disciples, and through the apostles. They started it. But church, the mission is not completed. God, through his people, have made a dent in a large one. Glory to God. But did you know this? There's still 3 billion people, 42% of the world's population, that are unreached. There's a lot to be done. Unreached meaning there's no indigenous self-propagating church movement in that people group. Right? There's a big dent. More to be done. And also, there's people everywhere around us in this city, in our context, at our workplaces and at the gym and people that we, you know, our barbers and everybody that we deal with. There's there's many around us that still not have that still have not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So whether in ministry or not, we're all commissioned to this task. And all of us need to heed the word of God this morning. I believe it's as much for us as it is Timothy. Let's read the text this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 says this. Paul speaking. Remind them of these things. And solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. But be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone whose name, who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthware. And some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. 
Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this section of your word this morning that you've given us. God, thank you for the truths that are in it. Thank you for the exhortations that you're giving all of us. And God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word informs us of who you are. It gives us insight It gives us understanding and revelation who the God of the universe is. It gives us understanding of of the truth that you died for us and you rose again, giving us new life. And Lord, we want to be a people that accurately handle it. We want to know what your word says and know what it doesn't say. God, we need this for our own lives, not only as a church, but on an individual level. We ask, God, that you'd give us a hunger this morning to know you for ourselves. That it wouldn't just be good enough to hear it from someone else, but that we would endeavor to know your word in such a way that we can firmly stand upon it and know what we believe. Would you instruct us this morning what is sound and what is not sound? What is good theology and what is not? We as well, Lord, want to pick up this torch, carry on the mission. We want to be participants in the building of your kingdom here and abroad. And so, Holy Spirit, would you equip us this morning in order to do that? Holy Spirit, we know you're able to speak to every one of us individually on a very personal level. Even though there's hundreds of us in this room, that task is not too big for you. So we ask that you would do that, that you would have our way with our hearts this morning, that your will would be done, that you would accomplish all that you want to accomplish in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Paul here, again, is instructing Timothy of several things. But specifically, he's instructing Timothy of how he and other pastors or elders in the church or, or church leadership should deal with and address false teachers in the church. And for many of us, or for the vast majority of us in this room, this context will never apply to you. God bless you. You don't have to deal with that. But it does for me. I need to very much heed every word of this and know my role and my responsibilities as an elder. This is part of what God calls us as overseers or elders in the church. Lazo, Stan, Matt, and myself have to do this here at Reality Santa Barbara. I need to do this in Honolulu. This truth isn't new. It's not the only place we see this. Paul, in his farewell to the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, said a similar thing to them. Acts chapter 20, 28 through 30. Paul speaking to elders in the church. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed the shepherd, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. 
Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. As pastors and elders and those in church leadership, we need to heed these truths and apply them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to protect the church, protect doctrine. As Paul said to Timothy before, we need to guard the treasure that we've been entrusted with. But for the majority in this room, this won't be you. And some of you, even reading this, might have either skimmed over it or thought, when, is this, when am I ever going to need these things? But there, I believe there is actually much that all of us, regardless if we'll ever be in this position that we can get from it. But what I want to do first is summarize what's happening here. And then I'll explain what, what I believe we can get from it. This is, this is the summary, I believe, what's happening in, in my own words. See, so Paul here, he's continuing to instruct Timothy of how he might act and think and live in accordance to following Christ. And there's actually like eight different things that he's saying right here. He's saying a lot in this letter. It's jam-packed. There's eight things he's saying. He's saying just these, these quick things. Stop fighting over words. Rightly divide the word of truth. Avoid men of empty chatter. Be a vessel for honor. Flee youthful lusts. Avoid foolish arguments. Be patient and kind and pursue repentance. So Paul is telling Timothy. But here's why. Here's the context. Here's what's happening. Timothy was now pastoring in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And like all churches back then and like churches now and like churches forever until Jesus comes back and rules and reigns, We have and will be dealing with false teachings, bad doctrine, wrong theology. False teachers have been in history and will be going around spreading these teachings and leading others astray. It's happening here with Timothy, and it's a bad situation. It's bad stuff. There's there's, there's incredible damage that's being done. Paul, by name, highlights and calls out specifically... Two false teachers by names. It's not a good thing when the Apostle Paul does this. Right? This is not what you want to see in Scripture. Are your names and with the label false teacher. But these two guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, are among, among them are these two, it says. Among them are these two. Meaning there's more. There's more, it would seem, but it would seem like these two guys are the ringleaders. Maybe the most outspoken. uh, Maybe just they have the, the position to do it. They have the platform to do it. But definitely they're creating the most drama and the biggest threat to the church, these two guys. These guys, it would seem, are influential enough in a negative way to point them out. They were most likely around Timothy or in that region And there were some negative effects that Paul and Timothy were hearing about and experiencing themselves. That's the context. And Paul gives Timothy these instructions, the ones I just read off. But but I'll summarize in my own words. I'm going to speak here as Paul and you guys as Timothy for a moment, okay? This This is a summary paraphrase of what this text is saying this morning so that we can help understand what it means for us. Paul is saying, first off, Timothy... You need to deal with this stuff. You cannot turn your head, see what happens, or let it go, or turn a blind eye. You need, by the strength that God gives you through his grace, talked about it last week in the sermon, to not fear and not be timid, but confront these men with the truth of the word of God. And Timothy, if you didn't get it already, this is serious. People are following, excuse me, people are falling away from Jesus. They're believing lies and distortions of the true gospel. And if you don't deal with this stuff, it'll spread like gangrene. Verse 17 of our text this morning. Death will spread through the church, Timothy, if you don't deal with this. That's what he's saying. So Timothy, you need to know the truth. You need to accurately handle the word of God. Verse 15. You need to know, divide, teach, and handle it with care. You need to study and make sure that you are well-versed in Scripture and its correct interpretation. 
You need to know the truth of the gospel so well that you can spot a counterfeit right away. And secondly, Timothy, this is where the father heart of Paul comes in. Timothy, you need to grow up. You need to mature. Verse 22, you need to flee the things of youth. On a side note, Timothy was looked down for his youth. He was relatively young for what he was doing. He's between 30 and 40 years old. That was young for what he was doing. Pastoring elder of a church. In 1 Timothy, Paul encouraged him to do this as well. 1 Timothy 4.12. He said, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example for those who believe. Okay, okay, back to Paul for a second. Paul continues. Timothy, you need to continue to be sanctified, becoming more like Christ. You need to set an example for those around you of Christ's work in you. There's too much at stake to mess around with sin and the things of this world. Because Timothy, God has called you with a holy calling. And you are designed to be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Verse 21. So cleanse yourself of anything that would dishonor you in doing what God has called you to do. Verse 21. So get rid of any sin, bad doctrine, or anything that doesn't honor God, or anything that keeps you from being useful in the master, that being Jesus' hands. And lastly, Timothy, here's some things you need to do when you encounter this stuff and how you need to deal with these people. You need to be careful not to let this stuff consume you. Not let it distract you from your calling and your church and your mission. Yes, this stuff is important and you need to deal with it accordingly, but do it quickly. Don't get entangled with arguments that are going nowhere and avoid men that are going to waste your time with empty, empty, worthless chatter. Verse 16. Paul goes on and he says, And Timothy, when you deal with these people, You need to draw on the strength that is in Christ Jesus. And even though they're so damaging and they're spreading death through the church and people are falling away, you need to not be quarrelsome. You need to be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those that are in opposition to you. Verses 24 and 25. And your hope and your prayer And your goal needs to be that God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil being held captive by him to do his will. Verse 25 through 26. This is what Paul is saying. Again, I'm not trying to any means add or take away from what the scriptures tell us. I'm trying to in context of the letter and the relationship and what is happening in the church, read it as, as it might have been heard if we were having a conversation. If Paul the Apostle in person was speaking to me as a pastor and elder and this was happening in this church, that is somewhat of what he would be saying. So you hear all those, those things. You hear him as a pastor and you hear him as a father and you see Timothy's timidity and his fear and his need for God's grace to empower him to do these things. You see that the stakes are high and all those things are true. And even though, you know, Timothy's context might be miles apart from ours, right? Nothing to do with anything that we'll ever do. But these truths, These things, these charges, these exhortations that Paul is giving Timothy. Man, these are charges and principles that are still for us and needed and and potent and for our for for God's glory and our good. I mean, these are these are ways in which we are to live and act and do life and things we need to know and strive to be like. And as much as Timothy would heed these words from Paul, we too need to go, yes, Lord, let this be true about me. When I'm dealing with those that are in opposition to me, 
You know, when, 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 when I hear a false teacher teaching, when someone around me in my community is believing something that is contrary to what I believe in Scripture, we too, in as much as Timothy, need to apply these truths. Do, do you see where I'm getting? We may not ever, ever be in pastoral vocational ministry and an elder in a church, but we're, we're all going to come across false teaching. Online, in our town, radio, podcast, books published. We're all going to be confronted, maybe in a different way, but we're all confronted with wrong theology and bad doctrine, false teachers. And it is, it is up to us to, to deal with it. I mean, maybe not in the same level, maybe not in the same way, but we all need to, to know if it's false or not. We all need to know how we should respond and, tr- and treat those people. That, that, that's the same here. So, so how does this apply to us? Here's what we can get from this. Better put, these are the instructions and charges that are for us. Three points. How to handle the word. How we're to handle the word. That's what we need to get this morning. Number two, how how to handle ourselves. And number three, how to handle the people. The people that are in opposition to our beliefs. Because we will be confronted. This will happen. And we need to know, how are we supposed to handle the word? How are we supposed to handle ourselves? And how are we supposed to handle the people? So first, how to handle the word. In verse 15, as Paul would say to Timothy, accurately handle the word of truth or rightly divide the word of truth. That is for us. What that means and what we need to get out of that is that we need to be biblically mature. We need to know what we believe for ourselves. We need to be students of the Bible. More than just believe what I say or what your pastor says or what this, you know, certain person says, or what my church says even. We, as believers of Jesus Christ, need to know what you believe for yourself. We need to dig into the word of God. I mean, let these pages turn. Actually open this. It's okay if you did digital form. You can do. But there is something about books. You notice that? Come on. There's something about, you know, I believe in Jesus because of what the Bible tells me about Jesus. Someone might have told me about him some other way, and I might have gone to church when I was growing up, and, you know, I, I kind of inherited this faith from my parents, but do we know what we believe and can you find it? Not Google. Don't, no, no Google. No Google. You can use Google. But do you, so what do you believe? Show me. Show me. Did Jesus die on the cross? Show me. Show me, where, show me, show me why y- 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 you believe the things you do. Do we, do we know what we believe? Do we accurately know how to handle the word of truth? And in light of our context here, we need to know what good theology is. And some of us might not even know what the word theology is. So how do we know what good theology is if we don't even know what theology is? Well, that's important to know first. Theology, just in an easy way, just means the study of God. Theology, study of God. If it wasn't obvious why having a right, good, or correct knowledge of who God is is already important, you might want to think of it this way. Your theology, if you're a Christian, is what you base your life upon. Like, if we believe the God of the Bible, and we believe in the authority of Scripture, and we're trusting in what it says— then we're basing our lives upon it. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, and 
the, the word of God informs you of, of what that means and how we are to live in light of that, then your theology, what you think and know about God, is what you base your life upon. It's why you act in a certain way. It develops your worldview. Your theology, what you think about God and who God is and what God says and what God is wanting for your life, informs just about everything. And and it should. But can you see why having bad theology would mess up a lot of things? It's going to mess up everything. It's going to make you have a wrong worldview and act in ways you shouldn't. And your life is going to be based upon maybe a lie or maybe a half-truth or maybe maybe an incorrect truth. Your theology informs just about everything in your life. And so if it wasn't already clear, it's very important to know what you believe about God. It's very important to have good theology. We learn theology, we learn about God from Scripture, from God's Word, from the Bible. So the next obvious question would be, is are we reading the Word ourselves even to know what our own theology is? Oh, or, or, or who told you? Who told you what you believed in? Who told you about Jesus? Well, the pastor did. Okay. From the Bible. Okay, but where in the Bible? I'm, it's, it, you know, it's humbling that you would just believe the words that we say from this. You shouldn't, though. You should test them. You should go to the Word of God yourself and, and, and align them with Scripture. Right? It's not, we're not up here because of my words. We're up here because of God's Word. It's God's word that we want to hear. It's God's word that we want to base our life upon. But, but, but brothers and sisters, those here this morning, do we know what we believe? Do we know what we believe? Because if you're really not sure, if, you, if you're not 100% sure, or you are sure, but you're like not really sure why or how or what verses or where in the Bible it says it, then how will you know what bad, when bad theology comes? If you don't know really what good theology is or what you do believe about God, then how are you going to know what bad theology is or a, a wrong understanding of God is if you truly don't know for yourself what is correct and true and what the Bible says about God? Do you get where I'm going? And the, and the importance of it. But what's important, though, isn't that you have a Ph.D. in biblical studies by any means. If you do, that's awesome. Great. Come hang out with me. I need to learn. But what is important and crucial is that we do know for ourselves the core, primary, orthodox beliefs of the Christian faith. we got to know those. You have to know those. That's a have to. You can just be all over the board on a lot of things. But we need to know about the non-negotiables. That's what we like to call them. The ones that we cannot and won't budge on. You know, there are things from Scripture and truths in Scripture about God that if crossed... If the line is crossed in your beliefs about them, it'll cause us to be able to no longer fellowship together. We are are not even on the same pages. It's not even the same faith anymore. It's not even the same God anymore. It's not even the same Jesus. We're just, we're we're done. There's there's effects from Scripture that would tell us to disassociate from people and things that cross those lines. That don't believe in certain things. The core, primary, orthodox beliefs of the Christian faith. See, there are secondary or tertiary issues that we can sometimes bicker and fight over and make them primary. We're great at this inside the four walls of the church. All of us are very passionate or all of us feel like we've got our our stance on something and we get on our soapbox and we we, we, we ride this train um, and Unfortunately, 
you know, people have divided over things they should not divide over. They're secondary and tertiary things. They're not the primary things. You know, they're, they're really important. There are. They're really important. And there are implications. And your faith will look differently if you believe one or another. But they're not primary. This would be stuff like, when is Jesus really coming back? End times. Mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib. Jesus come back. That's the point. Jesus is coming back. That's the point. We can differ. But do we believe that Jesus is coming back? Okay, we're good. Doesn't matter where it is. I mean, you know, it matters, but you know what I'm saying? Secondary, tertiary. Calvinism. Are you a Calvinist? Or are you a Minium? Are, are you Calvinist? I follow Jesus. I, I'm, I'm, I follow Jesus. I, yes, there's stances that each of us have. Election, priest. Those, those have great implications. But does that not mean that I can't hang out with five point, seven point Calvinist? No, I can totally hang out with you. I'm good. We can fellowship together. I can read books about you. I can read books that you wrote. I can do that. We can be friends. The gifts, that's a huge one. Right? The, the operating of the gifts, how they work, how they should function in the church. Um, you know, I mean, there's big ones. Like, whether, I mean, there, there are big ones. And, and, they, and they greatly differ the way that we do our faith, right? Like if you don't believe the gifts are for today, that's going to just change a lot of stuff. We do believe the gifts are for today, and they should be exercised. But, amen. <laughs> just the charismatic folks in here. Um, but there's a balance, right? Scripture gives us guidelines and rules, and there's ways in which we should operate in the gifts. But we do believe the gifts for today. But do we divide over that if you're just unsure? You don't, no, man, like, that's not, that's not primary. Church government. You know, some churches have like a Moses model, kind of where there's like one central guy, and other churches have a plurality of elders, what we see from the New Testament and how we operate. But does that mean that I can't fellowship and be with you? No, no, that's cool. But there are primary things that we cannot budge on. And this is where we kind of want to land on this morning, because this is what Paul is telling Timothy. There are people that are saying things that are not true about the primary orthodoxy of the faith, specifically the resurrection of Jesus, that are upsetting the faith of some, leading them astray. This is a primary deal, Timothy. It's a primary deal, primary orthodox, non-negotiable that's being threatened. But over the past few thousand years, people have tried to, you know, drill down the entirety of the canon of Scripture into the core beliefs, what we hold as, as a faith. Right? Because sometimes it is hard to know, like, what do we believe? What are the core essential, non-negotiable truths that we believe that we feel that we cannot budge on. People have done this with, uh, you know, the Apostle Creed, Apostles' Creed or the, um, the Nicene Creed or the Westminster Catechism. There's, there's things that people have put together in a condensed way to say, this is what we believe Scripture to say about God. This is our stance. This is our theology. This is what we believe is good theology and a right view of who God is according to Scripture. We don't necessarily, we get a lot of our formation of things from those things. We get them from the Word of God. But, you know, uh, at least with us, we don't obviously, we're not saying the Apostles' Creed and studying it. But we, we, the truths of that, we are. Um, like right now, Reality Boston's doing eight-week study in the Apostles' Creed. It's actually really cool on Sunday mornings. But, you know, in, in modern times, modern churches like us, we have a statement of faith. That, that would be similar. Um, we have one on the website. And uh, we as Reality of Santa Barbara have a statement of faith on our website explaining what we see to be true and core doctrine of Scripture. I'm, I'm going to read you that. You could go on the website, but you maybe won't. Uh, or you'll forget, whatever. <clears throat> but, but, I, but not... But these are, the, these are the core doctrines. These are the core beliefs. This is what... This is the... Yeah. Get, get what I'm saying? I'm just going to read you the, the statement of faith and, and of, of, of what we believe in Scripture uh, that we they believe, the core essential doctrines of the faith. We believe there's one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
We see that in Genesis 1, Deuteronomy 6, Matthew 28, John 10. If you don't believe that, problem. That, that's, that's, a core, that's core. We have a problem. We believe in the deity of Christ. John 10, his virgin birth, his sinless life. Is it on here? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> his miracles. His vicarious and atoning death. 1 Corinthians 15. Ephesians 1, Hebrews 2, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, his personal return to earth in power and in glory. If you do not believe in the deity of Christ, that Jesus himself is God in the flesh, that's a problem. That's a big one. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit who gifts us to accomplish Christ's purposes in the world and who manifests his presence to the world through Christ's church. See that through all those scriptures. We believe in the absolute necessity of regeneration by the Holy Spirit for salvation because of the exceedingly sinfulness of human nature that we all are justified on the single ground of faith in the shed blood of Christ and that only by God's grace through faith alone we're saved. I believe that to be a core doctrine of our faith that we all need to know. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. Those that are saved unto the resurrection of life, heaven, and those that are not to the resurrection of damnation, hell. We believe in heaven and hell. We believe in the spiritual unity of the believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians, Galatians 3. We believe that we as Christians are called to live life on mission as a people sent into the world for the demonstration and proclamation of God's love as made evident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4. I believe that's, that's essential to Christian faith. We believe that church to be the people of God, called by God and sent by God for the glory of God to meet the needs of the world with God. And lastly, we believe the Bible to be the inspired, infallible, authoritative, inerrant word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? This is what we believe the Bible says about God. We believe that these are core essential doctrines. We believe that this is, this is good theology, that we need to know these things, church. We need to be aware of anything that's different. Remember, there's nuances that will be different. There are secondary and tertiary issues that will be different. There are dozens of churches in this town that are very different than we are. But the question would be is, do they believe these things? These things. They could the, the, you know, how they do a Sunday morning and how they do community and could be different. But do they believe these things? Here is the dangers if we do not heed this truth this morning. If we do not handle the word of truth for ourselves, as Paul would tell Timothy, if we do not do that, here is the danger what bad theology or false teaching can do, if not kept in check, is that you believe it. If you don't know good theology, there's a, it's going to be easy for you to, to believe bad theology. It just is. You're not going to be aware of the counterfeit. You're not going to be aware of the nuances of it. And man, they're... they're they're real, real subtle these days. And it might take a little time for you to pick up on some Bible teachers these days. The, the way they say it, what they leave out, what they don't. They're, 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 they might not be as clear cut, cut and up front. Like we're a church and we do not believe Jesus rode in the dead. We do not believe that literally you go to hell. I mean, it might not be. Maybe it is. Then it might be a little clear cut to... to to see that? But if we do not heed the word this morning, we are in danger of believing false teaching, being led astray from Jesus. And here's what's even more scary. The leap become, be, 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 be from believing false teaching to being a false teacher yourself isn't that 
uh, far. Here's what I mean by that. You believe, about, you believe something and you're passionate and you believe other people are wrong. If you've got an extroverted personality and a platform to do it, all of a sudden you just became a false teacher. I'm telling you, this is a sobering, like, but real thought. There is more false teachers and more bad theology and more stuff going around these days, and you have more access to it by your phones and the internet than you ever have before. It is in your face. And if you're not careful, you'll be led astray. Your faith will be upset, Paul would, be, would put it. It's a, it's a heavy one. It's a heavy one. But church, the exhortation this morning would be accurately handle the word of truth. And then the other two, you know, they're fairly self-explanatory and they're easy to relate to Timothy. Right? The first one was handle the word. Second was how to handle ourselves. Third was how to handle people. So how to handle ourselves. This thing that Paul tells Timothy, be a vessel for honor. It's the same as Timothy. Church, we need to cleanse ourselves of anything that would dishonor us in doing what God has called us to. Plain and simple. Don't read into it. Get rid of any sin, any bad doctrine, anything that doesn't honor God, or anything that keeps you from being useful in Jesus' hands. Get rid of it. <laughs> don't, don't read into what that—that's what it means. He also tells us, flee youthful lusts. That's the same as Timothy. Instead of being known for our worldly, youthful lusts and passions in any way, set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Church, let's do that. Let's set that example in the world we live in. It's the same. How to handle the people. Again, we'll encounter, we'll encounter this stuff. We'll encounter people that are in opposition to what we believe. What is Paul's charge to Timothy? Well, first, it's stop fighting over words. Yep, that's wisdom. Don't fight over words. He also goes on to say, avoid men of empty chatter. That's just good wisdom. Don't waste your time. There's sometimes opportunities. Yes, yes, there's moments. But in a nutshell, it's it's not going to go anywhere. Pray for them. Love them with unconditional love and allow the Lord to do it. Don't wrangle. Don't, don't wrangle with them in words. It's not going to go anywhere. Again, there's times for that. You understand what I'm saying. Paul goes on to say, avoid foolish arguments. Yeah, that's wisdom. Same for us. Avoid foolish arguments. It's not going to go anywhere. But most importantly, Paul would tell Timothy, be patient and kind to those that are in opposition opposition to you. And that's something I believe we could probably all work on. Think of the last time that you were in opposition to someone, and it was an important issue, and it was infecting your faith and your beliefs, and it was what you thought about the Lord. I mean, maybe none of us have even been in that situation, but for those of us that have, were we patient and kind to those people? Most likely not. But we, church, need to allow these things to character our lives regardless of those who disagree or oppose you. As Paul would tell Timothy, we need to also be not quarrelsome, be kind to all, able to teach, patient when we're wronged, and with gentleness correcting those that are in opposition. We need to strive to be those things. And I love it because Paul leaves us with verse 25 and 26, and he says that we need to pursue repentance. And what he means by that is we, we church, we, we need to pursue the best result for those people. We must pursue that ultimately what is best for them in Christ. We must pray that perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, being held captive by him to do his will. Church, that needs to be our stance. That does not mean that we compromise on truth. That doesn't mean that we just, you know what? You disagree on that Jesus rose from the dead or not. You don't think he does. But you know what? Just for the sake that I just, you know, want you to come. I'm just going to, you know, stick that out. And that's okay. No, no, no. That does not mean you need to compromise truth. But it, 
It does mean that your attitude and your goal and your prayer for false teachers and for those that oppose you in the faith are ones that want them to turn to Christ. Jesus loves them just as he does us. He no more wants to to be with us and talk with us than he does them. We need to have that attitude in us that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what we can take away this morning as we enter into our time of worship. Reality Santa Barbara, brothers and sisters, friends, we need to know the true gospel, the right doctrine, and we need to know the word of God. And my hope and my prayer that you wouldn't just leaving, leave wanting factual hunger. You just wouldn't want to just, you know, apologetically be prepared to know the faith. What I'm talking about is I want you To know for yourself the Jesus that Scripture talks about. For yourself. I want you to go home and be disciplined to to, to spend time over and over going through the pages of Scripture to find Jesus. And to know what his word says about him. And to know for yourself as you find him in in the pages of God's word. I'm praying that you'd be spurred on to know God for yourself and guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can know you through your word. And as your servant Paul would describe you as a treasure. We treasure that. We treasure you. We so desperately treasure you that we ask, Lord, that you would equip us, that you would, you would reveal yourself to us, that we may, might become students of your word, that nothing and no one would be able to take you away from us that we would not be led astray, that we would not, that our our faith would not be upset by false teachings and false doctrine, but that we as a people would accurately handle the word of truth. But Lord, would you allow your Holy Spirit now to do even more than that? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to work on our hearts and our attitudes and the way in which we go about dealing with other people in light of these things? Help us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Help us to be patient and kind to people that oppose us and, and believe something that might be vastly different than ourselves. Show us when it is right to disassociate and no longer fellowship. Give us wisdom for that, Lord. But at the same time, God, we ask, Lord, that we would have your heart in praying for the the men and women that are believing lies, that are not heeding your word, that they would turn back to you, Lord, that you would pour your spirit upon them, that they might come to their senses and be freed from the snare of the devil, and that they would come back to their Abba, Father. They might know you according to your word. And so, Lord, we pray, God, as we worship you now, that you would do that heart work in us, that you'd give us a hunger to know you for ourselves. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.